Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Well, hello, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. In case you're wondering, I am not Dr. Pat. I am Anita Russell, and along with my friends, Gail Hunter and Mavis Bauman, we are excited to bring you this guest host episode of the Dr. Pat Show. So Mavis, Gail, and I are the hosts of Inflection Point Podcast on Transformation Talk Radio. We air the first and third uh, Wednesday of the month. We guide listeners on a journey towards anti-racism. But today, we're going to do something a little bit different as guest hosts for the Dr. Pat Show. Today, we will share three backstories of vision, purpose, and action that came together to form a fourth story. And we're going to begin our storytelling journey with my dear friend, Mavis. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. While you've got some time off, I hope you'll enjoy these stories. Um, I am currently president of Seed A Better Life. It is a nonprofit that we formed for the benefit of helping genocide survivors in Rwanda. I, my education was at the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy and International Business. I worked on Wall Street for a while. Then I started my own business as a freelance corporate writer and a photographer. Um, after a while, I volunteered to be a, a headcount cut at JP Morgan, and that's what, how, when I broke free. So that's where my story really begins. Um, I grew up in Nebraska, so you'll uh, hear a little bit Midwestern twang and points of view here. Uh, but I live in New Jersey now, and I'm working with these wonderful ladies, Gail and Anita. Um, as I mentioned, uh, SEED uh, raises funds for the benefit of orphans and vulnerable children in Rwanda. Um, uh, children who have been affected by the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi. And for those of you who don't know much about that, you might have seen the movie Hotel Rwanda, which, which is having some issues these days, but that's the story we're talking about. Um, almost a million people were killed in 100 days and no one was spared. Um, these people were killed mostly by machete or uh, blunt clubs with nails in the end of them. It was just done by hand. And I was uh, shocked and fascinated by this story. And, you know, it's just beyond imagination. And I hope that people know about this story and learn from it. And, you know, as they say, never forget. But um, a year after the genocide, a friend of mine, a colleague from grad school came to see me and she had a handful of pictures from uh, the aftermath of the genocide. She uh, was there uh, with the US State Department and she showed me these pictures and I, I just couldn't believe it was, it was like looking at a movie, you know, you just can't absorb this. Um, all these precious, you know, Rwandan bodies of all age, just drying in the sun. Um, so I, I just really started to ask myself, how can people do this to each other? How do we get to that point? And now, you know, I, I learned that in Rwanda, victims and perpetrators have moved beyond this horrible event and they live next to each other. And I just wanted to know how that was possible. So really, it's forgiveness that pulled me into the Rwandan story because while this was all going on, uh, my marriage was ending and I was just devastated. And I was full of rage and uh, I just felt like my life had been stolen. Um, so I just kind of went on this quest. I kept reading about forgiveness and I volunteered to go with my church group to Rwanda. Um, I, I couldn't believe the, uh, you know, how lucky I was that that happened in that time. 
So um, I wanted, I read as much as I could before. And when I got there, I wanted to learn how are they surviving? The country was practically leveled. Uh, there were no, you know, no electricity, no, no infrastructure left. It was just completely destroyed. So my, um, when I went, my goal was slightly different than what my church wanted to do, which was to build a leadership center. My dreams as an individual have always been kind of small-ish, <laughs> not to build an organization, uh, a large organization at least, but to do something small, to not be frozen by the amount of grief and loss that's out there in the world. So when I went to Rwanda, I was very determined to at least feed somebody. <laughs> so I even teased my travel mates that I was going to buy a goat and put it in the Jeep with us. Uh, so they started to take me seriously. <laughs> um, on that trip, I met a lovely woman by the name of Deborah Kugwisagaya. She was asked uh, by the mayor of her town to help a household of genocide survivors. And these are young people, so like in their late teens or 20s, who um, lost all of their family members in the genocide. So I was there in 2008, so we're 14 years after the genocide, and these young people have nothing. They are not in school, they don't have enough to eat, and it's, it's just, you know, it was an insurmountable problem. And I just felt like I could do something. So I chatted with Deborah a lot, and we really hit it off. And um, by the time um, I got home, I, I was just hit with this desire to do something. Um, in fact, when I was at the survivor's house, I remember placing my feet on the, the soil in the back of the house, and it felt like home to me. It felt like Nebraska. I felt so much a part of this human family that I just knew that was where I was supposed to be because, you know, listeners don't know what a chicken I am and how afraid I am to travel <laughs> to, you know, places that are different. But at this moment, you know, it was like God gave me the courage and um, he, he brought my skills and my education and my dreams and my heart all into one place where they could be used together, which was a pretty phenomenal sensation. It was almost like a physical uh, uh, experience. So anyway, I, like I say, I just felt like I could do something for these people. I didn't know what it was going to be, but I could eliminate, you know, maybe one hour or even a minute of suffering for somebody. Um, I used to tell this story about if you've ever had a toothache in the middle of the night, you just want to die. <laughs> but if somebody gives you Tylenol, your worldview has changed. Mm. And, and I just thought I can do that for somebody. I can get them through the next hour because my family has done it for me many times. Um, you know, those of us who really have what we need can do that for others. So I just started very small. So anyway, when I got home, um, Deborah reached out to me by email and um, she said, oh my goodness, Maeve, there's one woman who's got a genocide injury in her leg that is festering. Mind you, this is 14 years later and that leg had not healed shut. Um, a lot of them had machete wounds to their heads and their bodies. Um, and, you know, they had headaches and all kinds of ongoing issues, digestional issues, because they ate things from the soil when they were hiding in the bush during the genocide. So Tylenol and vitamins and a lot of other things. But anyway, so I sent $200 to Deborah to take this young woman, uh, Martha was her name, to the hospital. Um, her leg was so swollen that they were ready to remove the leg. Well, as it turns out, the hospital was able to put in a drain and get her on a round of antibiotics. And she was able to save her leg, $200. And that was such inspiration for me and made me feel so powerful. And I thought, you know, small has a huge impact, a small act like that. Um, Anita might have something to say about that story later, but anyway, 
um, it just it just really encouraged me to keep trying. So after that, um, we just Deborah and I stayed in touch, and we just kept adding one student after another. These were kids that um, had no access to school. They were home uh, alone. They their their lives were just stopped in their tracks. And they had no way of proceeding, no way to get clothes, no way to really have a full tummy so they could study. <clears throat> so I, my friends apparently had heard me talk along these lines over the arc of my life. And uh, I, I don't even remember talking in those terms. But when I told them that I wanted to do this work in Rwanda, they just began to financially support the effort. And they are still in my corner watching this organization, organization impact one life after another. Um, so one of, one of the, the fun things about the trip was I got to try out my new digital camera. Um, I had done some photography work for corporations, but um, going to this new place, this colorful place, uh, I just had such a great time with my camera. And, um, that leads to another story we'll probably hear a little bit more about, but those pictures were what I used to come home and tell the story and to help raise funds. Um, you know, I, people have asked me why Rwanda? Well, I've told you about the forgiveness story, but people say, why not? There's so many poor people. There are people that are struggling here in this country. I hear that. And I, what I encourage people to do is what place is calling you? Where do you feel like you want to help? For some reason, Africa hit me. I don't know why, but Africa just struck me and Rwanda specifically. So um, I, I've learned a lot through the experience of Rwanda that I apply now here in the United States, but I just still, my heart is there. And my connection with Deborah there is as if she were my sister. Mm -hmm. I, I would have never known that I could go so far away to someone who and meet someone who had grown up in a different culture in a different language. And we could be like sisters. We understand each other's facial expressions and humor. I mean, sometimes those don't even translate in a family. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but Deb and I are just cut from the same cloth. And we have had so much fun together, you know, just, just doing this work little by little. Um, so now the cool thing is we have 60 kids in school and we have uh, had about 150 who have gone through our program in some way, whether it was food support, medical support, um, you know, education, transportation, something that just helps kids to get involved in economic life, in educational life. And, you know, like I say, it's not a big number, but it, it matches me and it fits with the calling that I think I have. Um, and, you know, I, I look back uh, at my life and uh, I've talked with my, my friends here in this room, Gail and Anita, about how I feel that the pain in my life has all been brought together um, and recruit, recruited for a very concrete purpose. So, um, you know, the pain of losing someone you love, uh, the, the pain of rejection, the pain, the physical pain, a lot of these things I've experienced myself. And when I saw these people alone, I just, I just had such an enormous amount of love for them in my heart that uh, that's my fuel, people, that is my fuel, because sometimes I get tired, let me tell you. Um, and you know, when I worked on this, uh, I just have sort of a, a what do they call it, a, used to call it a big, hairy, audacious goal, you know, just a huge uh, dream for this, that, that one person who is touched by our group might be the person to turn the tide should there ever be conflict in Rwanda again. That they will have had people from other countries reach out to them, give them an education, 
help them with their critical thinking, and maybe they can turn the tide. You know, like Desmond Tutu, whom we just lost, he turns the tide, Nelson Mandela. Um, I don't know if my, my, I call them my kids, they're grown now, but I don't know if it will be one of my kids, but maybe one of theirs, because I just think that these small acts of kindness and love get multiplied in the universe. Sounds a little airy-fairy, but I bet you could point to one yourself. <laughs> so um, I guess at this point, I just want to say that I, I'm so thrilled to be in this mastermind group with Anita and Gail. They are helping me learn things about myself on this journey in Rwanda, which is extraordinary. And um, I would like to say to listeners too, you know, often people are saying, I, I want to find my purpose. I want to find my purpose. And I think actually purpose comes after you're honest with what you love to do, your skills and your passion. And then your purpose kind of calls you and you say, this is what I want to do. Mm. And that to me too is God's economy and how we are recruited for things that make life better here on earth. So I think I've used my time. I just want to thank you for listening. And if you want to know any more, please go to our website. It's called seedabetterlife.org. They're all kind of good stories. And of course, my fabulous pictures. <laughs> so thank you. Thanks for listening. Mavis, thank you so much for sharing that story. Welcome. That was just amazing. Um, and so in the interest of time, I'm going to shift it over to uh, Gail, because at the end, I want to be sure that we can tie everything together for our listening audience. Okay, my name is Gail Hunter. I'm a, by profession, I'm a psychotherapist, and I've been in private practice since probably 1979. Prior to that, I was teaching residents in a family practice residency program and doing counseling. Um, so Every summer, um, when my kids were young and growing up, I would go to the beach with them. And my one of my favorite spiritual places is the beach, and I would go there and meditate and just kind of connect back to myself and to, to the world and the universe and God and so forth. And one time, maybe about 14, 15 years ago, um, I received this vision, and it was a vision of creating a holistic wellness center and a retreat center. And I mean, it was a very detailed vision that... It was so overwhelming that I, when I got back home, I actually typed it all up and, and all the details and so forth. But I realized that I didn't have any money to create this. And probably if I started telling people about it, they probably think I was a bit delusional because I had no means of financially supporting this. So I just kind of kept it myself, but I kind of quietly tried to manifest it and tried by just picturing it and, and visualizing it and, and the feeling of gratitude for it being there as if it was already there in the present time. And about a few years later, and it took a few years, um, one person after another, there were about seven people that came to me, just unsolicited, and now just all of a sudden started talking to me about that they would love to be a part of a wellness center, and like a holistic wellness center. After about the sixth or seventh person, especially the seventh person who happened to be a real estate developer, I mean, there are different paths of, of life. One was a massage therapist, I mean, there was an educator, and there are different professions of these people that would just all of a sudden randomly come to me. And I said, well, I think I have something I need to show you, but I have a few other people that might be interested. And so that was the beginning of um, the nonprofit that I started called OMA Center for Mind, Body, and Spirit. We still don't have a center. We're actually more virtual. Um, and I still don't have the money to build a center, but that may come in time. Um, but we have started a program and we're a nonprofit since 2014. Um, and it has evolved and we've, um, and it's been amazing. Um, the people that have come to help us, the people that have supported us, uh, the name Oma stands for Ohio, Monongahela and Allegheny. And there are two rivers, Monongahela and Allegheny that form at a point in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that create the third river, the Ohio River. And many people believe that that's a very spiritual vortex when something like that occurs naturally in history. So we chose the name Oma. Um, it also means grandma in Swedish, but that's not what, that, what was not our intention. Um, there's also a fourth river that runs underneath those three rivers, which is also an unusual um, configuration for nature. Um, so we call it OMA. Um, we have virtual programs. Um, one of the programs that we, and we also, uh, we 
we come from a variety of different backgrounds. Um, and the first program that we really started was called Art in the Garden, which is a year-round program that supports youth and, and holding themselves and others and compassion and growing in connection to self, others, and the earth. And to support the journey, Art in the Garden programs address the impacts of childhood adversity and trauma on health and learning. We use an intentionally trauma-informed, anti-racist, LGBTQA plus welcoming, culturally responsive, joy-centered, and liberatory pedagogy um, in order to teach these children. Um, the programming for the arts and ecology gives the youth tools to reduce stress, empowers confidence and compassion and civic engagement. They deepen their self-awareness by identifying um, and really honoring their emotions, their thoughts, and their, and their own values. Um, so it's really been an incredible program that got started um, and a garden that is connected to a housing co-op in the east end of, of our city in Pittsburgh. Um, and it's evolved and during the pandemic, the first year, we actually did a virtual program for the kids. And then this past year, they actually went back into the garden and we had more kids that were wanting to, to um, enroll than what we had space. And so we're looking at seeing ways that we can either partner with another um, organization in the city um, or expand it in some way. The other program we do is a lecture series where we uh, highlight holistic practitioners in the city. And we, because of virtual that we've been doing the last two years, we also can expand that beyond the city of Pittsburgh and, and to national, um, national speakers. Um, we, either, we usually offer them free to the public. We ask for donations from the heart. Um, and we've been able so far to sustain that program doing that. Um, we haven't done this program for a while, but we offered one called Food for the Soul, and we will once we can go back live. It's an opportunity to share thoughts, ideas, and needs on each other's journeys in the realms of body, um, on body, mind, and spirit. And we provide soup and bread, and uh, we give a, offer a topic to talk about in the table, and people can just begin to discuss that. Um, so it's a pretty, it was a pretty empowering um, experience for most people that came to that. And hopefully we can resume that again once we can go back live. Um, we also do workshops um, under Mind, Body, and Spirit from practitioners both locally and nationally. Um, in fact, Anita did one of ours for last year, um, Cultivating Change from Within, Journey Toward Anti-Racism, a mastermind group. And that's how some of this all got started. Um, and we also do a trauma-informed training education for educators and for parents and community members where we try to Help them understand um, the help them understand what how trauma can affect all of us, um, and especially children and youth growing up, and it becomes a bridge designed to connect them um, with professionals across generations and and the healthcare spectrum. They usually gain an understanding of social, emotional, mental, and behavioral health issues, and they learn a lot of skills that they can use to help their youth. Um, the other program we just started about a year ago is called "You Are Not Alone." It's a monthly online seminar, and we offer, it's a panel discussion or conversations. Um, it's under our trauma programs. And it's designed for sharing the stories around our very diverse life experiences and exploring the connections among us all. You know, we all carry a heavy weight often of trauma in today's terminology. We um, all at the same time struggle to meet our basic human needs for connection and community, acceptance and validation. Um, and also, I think we seek authenticity, the capacity to feel what we feel and be in touch with our bodies and to express what we feel when we need to. Um, I think there, most people don't realize that they've actually experienced trauma. And these are a variety of different traumas. There's something called ACEs, adult um, adverse childhood experiences, which also are under the larger category of trauma. And so what's happened, we've done this once a month, and I think it's been a very informative and um, helpful process for people. It's done as a webinar, so people can join in the webinar with and anonymously, so nobody can actually see your picture as compared to a Zoom meeting. Um, and it's um, and if they want to, they can ask questions by chat in the chat room, or they can actually unmute themselves. Um, so those are some of the programs that we offer, and hopefully in time, maybe we'll get a center, or maybe not. Um, I want to talk a little bit about synchronicity before I run out of some time. Um, synchronicity is a phenomenon which people interpret to separate and seemingly unrelated experiences as being meaningful 
intertwined, even though there's no evidence that one may lead to another. And I want to share how I've met Anita. And through Anita, I met Mavis. But Anita um, actually first met a board member of ours, Deb Carter, who is a reflexologist and was also driving Uber. And Anita got in her car, and Deb is an incredibly spiritual being and just a light being. And they started having this conversation, and Deb started sharing about OMA and invited Anita to one of our lectures. And I mean, Anita walked in the first time I think I saw you. I just could sense this amazing light within you and this energy that I was so, I'm still so grateful to have been able to know you. And that was the beginning of my connection with Anita. Um, and from there, it has just grown and blossomed. Um, and so I think that, that I am more and more aware of manifesting. I'm more and more aware of the synchronicity that happens for all of us. Um, and I'm very grateful to be part of this mastermind group. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. And that is perfect timing. So we're going to take a quick break at this point. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you my part of the story. And um, both Mavis and Gail already have alluded to some of the connections um, that, that we have uh, to one another. So we'll uh, finish that story out. And um, yep, there you have it. Break time. <laughs> Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Pat. I'm the host of The Dr. Pat Show. Is your life stressful and unfulfilling? Would you like to make changes but just don't know how? I want to recommend The Necktie and the Jaguar, fabulous book by Carl Greer. This is a memoir. It has questions that help us understand what our story is about, how to change it, and how to live a life that is so aligned with who we are. For more information to purchase the book, go to transformationtalkradio.com or go to carlgreer.com. Healing has a ripple effect. One person's healing affects everyone around them. This is where the power of sharing our stories can be so important. Tune in to Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge each month on Transformation Talk Radio as Megan provides you with ways of sustaining radical and powerful changes in your life. Enact the power of radical change. To find out more about Megan Edge, visit her website at meganedge.ca. You're driven, and it totally shows. Your career is taking off, you're killing it in the mom game. But did your health needs make it on the plate this week? Tune in to the Boss Up Babe radio show, where Carissa Adkins helps babes show up, boss up, and thrive. Every second and fourth Tuesday at 12.30 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Become the boss babe you were meant to be. To sign up for one of Carissa's group coaching programs, visit 365DailyHustle.com. Parenting isn't about perfection. I think we all know that. Parenting is about being present and honest, having compassion for your child and for yourself, communicating consciously and loving unconditionally. Tune in to The Awakened Parent Project with Susan Dolce every first and third Tuesday at noon Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to be an empowered parent through the techniques of the conscious parenting community. To learn more about Susan, visit SusanDolce.com. It takes courage to step into your calling and go for your dreams. Sabotage monsters can get in your way, preventing you from reaching your potential. You can choose to struggle alone or you can choose community and support, someone to walk beside you, meeting you where you are. If you are ready to make real and lasting change, Coach Christine Clark is here for you. Find out more about one-on-one coaching and group programs with Coach Christine at sunglowtransformation.com. Are you ready to branch out? Take a leap of faith. Tune in to Get Rooted Radio with Erica Gifford-Mills on TransformationTalkRadio.com to equip empower and enlighten yourself. Erica will energize and excite you to power up your passionate dream that sets your soul on fire. So get fearlessly ready and get powerfully rooted in your yes to live it up, love it up, and let it go. Visit GetRootedRadio.com. So welcome back. 
Um, you just heard two incredible stories, first from Mavis and her work in Rwanda, and then we heard from Gail and her work through the um, holistic education and mind, body, spirit, and all of that. So I'm going to actually give you the backstory to the backstory, because there's like another piece of this that um, that is really related to my own journey, which I want to uh, share at this point. So the way that I met Mavis was um, on a trip to South Africa. Now, when she talks about Rwanda, I actually did a trip with her to Rwanda, but I need to start with the South Africa story first because that's where she and I actually met. And one of the things that I absolutely love about Mavis is her realness and her her. Um, I know we use this word authenticity a lot, but Mavis just really, really embodies that. And I picked that up the moment I left her. So a little bit of the backstory. I was uh, working at, um, I was still in corporate America. If you know my story, you know I left corporate America in 2013. However, in 2008, I was still leading the African-American affinity group. At least that's the name of it at that time was uh, uh, what we affectionately call the triple AG. And I got a phone call from the uh, foundation of the company that I was working for. And they actually it was Bristol Myers Squibb. I used to work for them and they were doing a um, the, the company um, from the foundation perspective had been doing a lot of work in the area of uh, HIV and had launched a program called Secure the Future. And I got a phone call because they had decided that they wanted to take the model that they created for Secure the Future in the HIV um, space and apply it to uh, to breast cancer. And so it was really, um, it was kind of designed as a train the trainer kind of program. And so we were being asked, we meaning the African American affinity group, were being invited to participate in literally going to South Africa and launching a breast cancer awareness program in, uh, we were in the KwaZulu uh, Natal uh, region of South Africa, and which is about a four hour ride outside of Johannesburg. So we flew into Johannesburg and then got in a Jeep and drove for four hours into the rural, more rural um, areas. Um, so when I got the call from the company, I was extremely excited, of course, and, you know, took the information back to the leadership of the AAAG, which also included our executive sponsor at that time, and just literally started working out a plan. We had to develop the training on our own. We had to do research um, to kind of get a sense of what does breast cancer awareness, education look like in an environment outside of the of the United States. So it was a lot of educating that we had to do on our own in order to get to a space where we could comfortably have this conversation in another country, in another culture, and, 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 and that sort of thing. Um, so we put everything together, uh, had lots of different conversations about how we're going to do it logistically, um, how we're going to fly, are we going to fly, are we going to use the corporate jet, are we going to use this, are we going to use that. So it was just all of this flurry of conversation, because that conversation was driven by excitement at being able to do something at this level. So we got everything together, got the plans together. The day that we were leaving to go to South Africa was the first time that I ever met Mavis. Now, the way that she got connected to us, I mentioned we had an executive sponsor behind this uh, project that we were doing. And one of the things that he sort of gave us carte blanche for was to hire a photographer because in his mind, he felt like this is incredible work coming out of the research and development uh, organization at the Bristol My Squibb, as well as coming out of the foundation. And so he gave us funding to be able to hire a photographer. And it just so happened. See, this is how these things uh, just kind of happen. It just so happened that there was another member on the leadership team who knew Mavis. 
Mavis is a photographer. So you put two and two together. And next thing you know, we got this extra person coming on our team by the name of Mavis Bauman, incredible photographer. That's how we met. And going on that, what was it, like 14-hour flight 18. to South Africa, 18-hour flight to South Africa, <laughs> our friendship was solidified. So by the time we landed, you would have thought we were had been best friends for years. But I say all of that to say that that is the type of person that I recognized in Mavis, a very genuine down to earth kind of person. Excuse me, that was 2008 when we went to South Africa. So now our friendship has grown. Our friendship is continuing. And by the way, let me just backtrack a little bit because that program was extremely successful. Yeah. In a space of about a week or so, we went to we went from village to village to village, delivering and teaching people how to do self breast examination. It was amazing, and we started. We worked with traditional healers and just all of these different people in the community that was related to uh, health or healthcare workers, volunteers, and all of that. It was just a beautiful experience. And that's how I met Mavis. I also learned something about myself in that, in that, in, 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 in preparing myself to go to South Africa. I had never been to, on the continent before in my life. So this was a big deal for me. And I felt like I needed to do, I'm going to use the word cleansing in a way, because there were some things inside of me that I wanted to make sure were not there. Because the truth of the matter is I live in America. America is a racialized society, and I did not want to take any bias, prejudice, or anything like that with me when I go into South Africa, because my thing was, I'm going into their life experience. I'm going into their country. I'm going into their language. I'm going into their culture. And at the very least, I need to respect all of that, to respect and honor all of that. So I literally spent a month before we went praying every day that God will remove anything inside of me that could come off in a way that I'm judging, I'm criticizing, or anything like that. And I had one moment in South Africa, it was like my moment of thankfulness, where I just stood there and I was surrounded by all these people. We were at a clinic, there were babies there, there were young children there, there were teens there, there were adults there, and we were there and we were helping them. And it was just an amazing experience for me. So let's move to 2011. So now I'm learning more about Mavis. Uh, in the course of that 2008 to 2011, our friendship really flourished. I'm learning more and more about her. And so she starts telling me about Rwanda. Next thing I know, I'm getting on a plane with Mavis and we're flying to Rwanda. And it was, again, just an incredibly beautiful experience. It helped me as a person. And the young lady that Mavis mentioned, uh, Martha, with the problem with her leg, I was asked to pray for her and pray for her healing. And that was, that was an incredible moment for me, because that was a way for me to touch this young woman and to really connect with her that had nothing to do with me being American or nothing to do with her being Rwandan. It was two human beings coming together and I was asked to, to provide some support for her. And I was able to walk in that space and um, do that. I, I got to meet Deborah, who uh, Mavis uh, spoke about. Um, Every time I think about that experience, I almost get moved to tears because it changed me. It helped me to be a better human being. It helped me to really, really communicate and connect to people who are different from myself. So now I'm going to bring that, the conversation into meeting Gail. I know that's a little bit abrupt, but I want to make sure that we get all the pieces in before we run out of time. And so back in 2017... I, I lost my mom. 
And prior to me losing to my, my mom, I came to Pittsburgh um, because my mom was sick. My mom was suffering from a stage four uh, metastasized breast cancer. And so when I got here, I basically dropped everything in my life. I was still living in New Jersey. I just dropped everything to come here and um, be with my mom. And at that time, I was writing a book. And the name of that book is I Want to See Lainey's House. And that book was sort of my story, my journey through life and, and all that sort of thing. But I used to go to the library a lot because I loved writing in the library. When I lived in New Jersey, I used to get on the train and go to New York and just spend time writing in the library. So when I found myself in Pittsburgh, I needed to find like some good libraries that I could go and hang out in. And one particular library is the library in a section of Homestead, uh, I'm sorry, a section of Pittsburgh that's called Homewood. And so I needed a Uber car because I didn't I didn't have a car with me at the time I needed a a car so I called for a car and I got this woman and this woman like that became my friend as a matter of fact when we got to Homewood Library she turned her Uber thing off and we just sat there and talked probably for about 15 minutes or so and that's how she introduced me to Oma and that's how I ended up getting connected to Oma. And I can remember very vividly the first time that I walked into an Oma lecture. And I've shared this with uh, Gail. When I walked in, I was the only uh, Black person in the group of maybe about 40 um, white people, mostly women. But I did not feel like I was the only Black person there. What I felt like was that I was a person who was there. And I was simply accepted by particularly the leadership, um, although at the time I didn't know who the leaders were, but eventually I got to know them because I was invited to be a member of the board. And um, it was just an incredible experience. And the whole entire idea of why I wanted to use this approach with um with our Dr. Pat episode is to really drive home a couple of points. Number one, vision, purpose, and action. That's what brought the three of us together. We got Mavis over here being driven by her vision, her purpose, and her action in her own life. Then we have Gail driven by the same factors, vision, purpose, and action in her life. And then you have me driven by the same thing. That's why I ended up in South Africa. That's how I ended up in Rwanda. That's how I ended up now in, in, in um, Pittsburgh. Because I knew in each one of those steps, those steps were meaningful. Those steps were not accidental. Yeah. Those steps were real. And when I look back today in 2021, and I look back I can see the stepping stones. It's like when you're you're in a garden and you know how sometimes people will have those stones that are uh, spaced out and you could walk along this path of these stones. That's what the three of us, our lives have been like. We all had our individual path, but then those paths began to converge. And what you see now is the convergence of those three lives, three different paths of vision, purpose, and action. And then the other thing that it really drives home, and this kind of relates to our Inflection Point uh, podcast, which I mentioned uh, earlier, and you heard uh, Mavis and maybe even Gail mention this idea of this anti-racism uh, anti mastermind group. That's what we are. The three of us have come together around this issue of racism in, in the United States and, and beyond, quite frankly. It's just a whole concept of uh, racism. And so out of all three of us kind of being connected, we kind of birth this brave space. This is how we define Inflection Point Podcast. It's a brave space for conversation. I'm sorry. It's a brave space that requires courage. It requires conversation. It requires relationship. And it requires accountability. In order for us to be able to have those difficult types of conversations, there has to be a process there. And that's the process that we created 
And in the process of us creating that, we model exactly what that conversation needs to look like in order for us to be able to move forward. The same way when I was in Rwanda and I was asked to pray over that young lady, her name was Mar. her name is Martha. That was the bringing together of her life connected to my life. But the thing that held us together at that point, it wasn't vision, purpose, and action necessarily. It was faith. It was our faith. And it was my faith in a God that I can pray to on behalf of someone that I literally just met, you know, on that particular trip. And again, just saying all of this to say, we are in a place right now, America, we're connecting to one another. Yes. It's been going to be the thing that saves this country. Amen. Because we cannot continue the way that we are with all of this division and strife and anger and violence and misunderstandings. We won't survive if we keep this up. Yes. And so our whole entire point, Mavis, Gail, and I, is to make that conversation real, to make people begin to really, really see the place that we're in and how each of us has a role that we can play. You might have to kind of take some time out to figure out what that role is, but each of us has a role to play. And each of us has to make a decision. Do I wanna stand on this platform or do I wanna stand on this platform? And whatever platform you decide to stand on is going to have an impact on us as a nation. So I just wanted to say all of that. So Mavis Gale, um, any comments on any of the things that I, that I shared? You just get me excited all over again, Anita. <laughs> it's, it's really an amazing series of events. <clears throat> I just wanna add that Martha, is walking tall and strong to this day. Her leg is completely healed. Since that treatment in uh, uh, after, well, I guess even in 11, she was still healing up, wasn't she, 2011? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. She has completely healed and does not have any more trouble with that leg. And who knows what she'll do, you know? Who knows what she'll do? She, a lot of the survivors were not parented, so when people like us have the honor of coming into their lives, we can affect those lives, just like we can affect the lives of anybody who's next door or a little further. Yeah, and I, I just find that so positive and hopeful and possible, possible. Yeah. Mm. I'm, glad you, I'm glad you hired me, Anita, for the, as your <laughs> so thanks. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I just want to say that, you know, we all are collectively from the same humanity and what will destroy us is not remembering that, right? And the greatest source of grief and sadness is the disconnection that we feel from with others and that we mostly then feel from us with ourselves. When we reconnect to ourselves in truth, we then connect to all truth. And that's what this is all about, right? That's exactly what this is right. all about. It's, it's about um, acknowledging truth, but it's also about reconciliation. It's about healing. Right. Because again, we are at that inflection point where we have to decide as a nation, are we going to move forward with something that is equitable for every citizen in this country? Or are we going to stay the course of what we've been experiencing for hundreds of years? And we can look through the lens of that history and see that it doesn't work. Right. It doesn't work. Well, it's not based in accuracy or truth or, or it's not based in any of that. And it must be based in, in truth. Right. Exactly. 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 So we are continuing with our conversations and, and all that, and um, just wanting our audience to grow. 
again, the fact that we are on the Dr. Pat show is such an incredible uh, honor. When I got the when I got the call from one of um, one of the uh, people that work with the uh, organization, and we were invited to be, uh, uh, you know, to do a show on in her absence and everything, and I was just like, oh my gosh, of course, of course, of course. So again, it's just an opportunity to get a broader message out there. The work that Transformation Radio, uh, Transformation Talk Radio does, the Dr. Pat show, and all of that is just pretty incredible. Like I've had the opportunity to kind of go in and listen to some of the other shows and some of the other uh, hosts and things like that. And the, the title transformation relates so directly to what we're all about, that personal transformation, cultivating change. And I think the biggest thing that kind of brings it together for me, particularly as I look at it through a, a life coaching lens, is this issue of accountability. Um, you've probably heard me say that freedom isn't free. Freedom is not an absolute. That freedom is directly and intimately connected to responsibility and accountability. And I think as we, yeah, as we start to continue to have these conversations that those things need to be in the forefront, that freedom is not free, it's not an absolute, and it has to be managed through that lens of account personal accountability and responsibility. Otherwise, we just continue in the chaos. And I know personally, I don't want to be in the chaos. I don't want my my little grandson Cairo. You've heard us talk about Cairo. I want I don't want him growing up in the chaos. So it's up to us to ensure that he does not. So we got about five more minutes. And uh, Mavis, Gail, if you can call out your websites again, so we can get some folks over to visit to see the incredible, incredible work that you all are doing. Real fast. <laughs> oh, real fast. Three minutes now. Um, I just wanted to add one little thing. Mm -hmm. And it sounds funny, but to quote the Beatles, all you need is love. Love is at the base of all this. It sounds so um, ethereal and overused. But once you have love, you have motivation, you have resources, you have time, you can connect. And so just look for those opportunities to extend that love to anyone who's near or far. So Amen. I'll just finish up with my website again, seedabetterlife.org. I talk funny, as I say, I'm from Nebraska, but um, you'll see some stories about what's happened with our students. It's just been the best thing in my life, most gratifying service ever. So thank you. Okay, go for it, Gail. All right. It's you got on one minute. Our website is <laughs> org, And we have a list of different programs and all the activities that we're doing. So feel free to go and check it out. And thank Ex you. Excellent. Excellent. And you can always go and check out The Place to Soar. That is uh, my company. Um, I do live coaching. I'm a podcaster, as you can see, speaker and an author. And you can find out everything that I do at theplacetosoar.com. So I think we are officially out of time at this point. And I want to thank the audience for uh, joining us. And I hope we did a good job of did a good job of sitting in for Dr. Pat. And we yeah. shall see you on the flip side.